whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report Vaccine Report. This is Dr. Lee for America here with Dr. Mike Eden and Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe, both from Europe. Dr. Gilthorpe is in Stockholm, Sweden, and Dr. Eden is in the 15-minute city of Canterbury, England, and warning people about the dangers of the controls to come. If a 15-minute city comes to your neighborhood, and we'll be talking about the World Health Organization's World Health Assembly that began Sunday, May 21st. This is the week that the WHO seeks to take control of the public health response worldwide for all member nations, usurping the regulatory authority of each individual's country's own regulatory agencies. And in particular, there is a huge push in the United States to exit the WHO so that we don't lose our sovereignty in WHO tyranny, as we experienced during COVID. Dr. Eden and Dr. Gilthorpe have specific warnings about all of that. But my question for our experts to, and for me as a physician as well to discuss, does the WHO have the capability to actually be a regulatory body? That is not what it was founded to be. And yet gradually, more and more, particularly with all of the tyranny that we experienced with COVID and the lockstep responses around the world, we find that the WHO has suddenly put itself in the role of the public health police, telling everyone what they can do, what they cannot do, what can be used for treatment and what cannot be used for treatment, and doing a one-size-fits-all around the world. This is absolute, total tyranny and dictatorship from one person at the head of the WHO, who is not an elected official of any of our countries among all of the people listening to this broadcast. So Dr. Eden and Dr. Gilthorpe, welcome to the show today. Um, tell us what your concerns are. I know, Dr. Yin, you have very yeah. big concerns about the regulatory authority of, of the WHO. And does it really 
can it even be a regulatory agency? So, Dr. Lee, uh, good to be with you again. Um, yes, I, I mean, certainly I will say to your audience that um, up to the point of 2020, I would describe myself, I think, in the, 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 the slang as to be a normie. I, I kind of believed everything I was told on the TV, radio, newspapers. So it's been quite a quite a journey for me. And, and if the audience is finding it a little bumpy, then you know I share that thought. And you know I thought that the WHO was a a quasi non governmental organisation. We would call them a quango in the UK, but they were kind of largely harmless. They would be maybe a group of epidemiologists are working out whether diseases are spreading generally in the developed world because. The first world didn't didn't need some remote folks um, you know, in Geneva telling them what to do because we had a good handle on our own public health. <clears throat> and so I, it never, never occurred to me to think about them. But what I've noticed uh, during this pandemic is that they're stepping up, as you said, Dr. Lee, and, and making comments like, um, you know, these are the appropriate steps in view of the pandemic, which you know, you will know my view is that hasn't been a pandemic other than a psychological operation, and I accept others have different views. But they would talk about uh, locking down and masking uh, and treatments, uh, and you know they might have some some uh, competence to talk about, you know, treatments, I guess. Uh, but what they don't have is the um, they don't have the basic skills. They don't have the staffing. And here's the important point. They do not have the legal mandate to review the profile of any drug, be it new or repurposing an existing drug, and declare it good or not good for a particular treatment. That's not, it's simply not in their in their competence or mandate. So to be a regulator, you would have to be staffed you know, very thickly with, with lots of clever people who've spent their life looking at uh, pharmaceutical quality and manufacture and, and clinical profiles and safety and interactions and things like that. You know, it's not it's not a minor job. And so they definitely don't have that as a formal responsibility. So when I hear them uh, wanting to take to themselves pandemic responsiveness, you know, for, for the whole world, essentially, I find that terrifying because I, they're just simply not set up to do that. And if I get a chance in a few minutes, I would explain why even if they did, it would be the wrong thing to do. But Jonathan, that would, those are my, some of my concerns about the what I feel is the encroachment through the media as much as anything else, almost lulling the public um, into believing maybe these folks know what they're doing. And I just wanted to point out respectfully that whatever they did in the past, this isn't it. And so they, they should not be uh, granted respect when they talk about treatments and so on. That's not their competence. Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Jonathan here. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to be on the show again. Um, yeah, I mean, this really, I think, is the most fundamentally important thing that everyone should be thinking about and engaged in um, is the the threat of the WHO who now wants to bring in these new international health regulations or pandemic treaty variations of the two policies being pushed along at the same time. And, you know, within one year, if we don't resist these things, we will basically be under the uh, totalitarian control of the WHO and one single person, Dr. Tedros, who's the director general, will be able uh, to 
shut down the whole world, basically, and put us all into pandemic response mode based not even on a pandemic, just the threat of a pandemic or a climate um, emergency, such as too high CO2 or, or um, yeah, I said that a few weeks ago, farting cows, you know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's James Bond-like in its um, storyline, but this is the truth. Um, there was a very good... Uh, live stream on Friday, uh, Children's Health Defense Europe did it. And Meryl Nass, uh, Dr. Meryl Nass was the host. Uh, there were people such as Dr. David Bell, who used to work for the WHO, that talked about uh, the history of the WHO and how it got involved in this hot pandemic response role that it's taken a- upon itself. And he really brought up some very interesting points, I think, including the idea of what is a pandemic. I mean, he said, you know, I think it was, I'm not sure when the first term pandemic got coined, but it wasn't that long ago, but essentially the flu, the seasonal flu, which, you know, we can have a discussion about whether that exists or not <laughs> um, and how bad it is or, or isn't. But essentially what we all knew about before was a virus that, or a viral illness that started somewhere in Asia and spread around the world. And every year there was a new cycle of it. That was a pandemic. I mean, you know, it was a viral infection that affected the, the world's population. It's only now that the narrative has been spun to make people become so alarmed at the thought of this, you know, there is a virus circulating the world. This is what viruses do. Uh, this is not unusual. Uh, but suddenly now we all need to be terrified because the media tells us we should be. Mm. And if we don't. Well, take and this- that's been the weapon. Fear, fear yeah. and terror has been the weapon that has driven people into submission and control in a lockstep police state. That's really what we're looking at with what we've just experienced with COVID. And if we don't stand firm against the WHO taking control under the, with this international health regulatory agreement, treaty, whatever euphemistic word they want to use, it is a, it is a police state for public yeah. health. It will be, and, and not even necessary public health, Dr. Lee. That's the even more terrifying aspect. Well, that, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they will call everything public health. Yeah. They will, everything will be, uh, it, yeah, and it, it ties into this thing called One Health, which is essentially the health of the world. So it's not no longer focused on human health at all. It's just uh, whatever they decide. Um, well, it's animals and plants, and it's using gene therapy, mRNA technology to inject into livestock, inject into a cover. I mean, they're, they're doing um, experiments with using mRNA vaccines for spinach crops, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think it's very important for people to realize that this is a very slow mission creep for the WHO. Initially, it's set up, you know, under very, very good um, or, or graceful, gracious uh, reasons. It's got very, um, you know, everyone would, would agree that you need some kind of international body to look after health and make sure that the people that are uh, don't have good health or opportunities to good health get looked after. That's a very... Um, a, a good role, one would say, but then you get this mission creep that creeps in, and now suddenly the WHO is trying is attempting to take over global governance. Well, uh, Dr. Gilthorpe, I I really want to discuss that very point. 
why is it necessary to have a global organization taking care of health? That is something that ideally and common sense should be the function of each individual country because each country has different needs. And I'm not even sure that we should have a global agency orchestrating that. Dr. Eaton, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, well, yeah, I think um, in, if, if the governments of the world and, and their coordinating uh, groups at a supranational level, if they were benign, then there is, I don't think there's any particular harm in having an arrangement like this. But I've, I've come to realise you have to ask a different question you have, because uh, there, there are a small number of bad people everywhere. And what they do is they look to exploit uh, weaknesses in any organisation or any setup whatsoever. So the question should be, you know, in the event that there were bad people running a supranational organization, what level of damage could they uh, impose on other people and what would be the, the responses to those? And that's the situation we're in right now, where there is no question that through the combination of, you know, a, I'm sure it's a long, a long thought through plan, probably since the WHO was set up, I think, after the war. Um, I, I think some people have been thinking ahead about exactly on those lines. What could we do in the future with this organisation? How will we position it so that it can do that? And the other crucial thing, I'm afraid, are your friendly um, hosts and hostesses on your TV set, because these people belong to uh, a small number of transnational corporations, some say six, seven, eight, maybe, and they cover all of the mass media, certainly TV uh, and radio. And so basically, they'll do what they're told. There'll be an editorial line um, and, and basic news items about, say, the WHO will be dropped through and, and they will repeat them. But picking up your point, Dr. Lee, about the strict necessity of having a, a global group that probably isn't a strict necessity. A lot of us would have sympathy for wanting to help those countries where government is so weak um, that we'd want to help. But do you need a, a global group for that? Probably not. But here's, here's my concern as a biologist, that uh, just the very idea of taking to the centre, in this case WHO, uh, decisions about you know, world health, where it came, say, to diseases that affect humans, because, you know, God help me, I'm mostly concerned about humans, fellow humans. Um, what, we, what we know is, let me just point this out. Let's say there's an, a, a, a new disease allegedly moving across the world. By definition, it's new, and no one, not the Director General of the WHO, or me, or Dr. Lee, or, or Jonathan, knows what the right, the best thing to do is. Now, the great thing is about humans is we've got systems that sort these problems out, and they're hundreds of they're tens of thousands of years old. They're called local experiment and great communication. If you do that, one, you're very closely connected to the, to the as it were, the experiment running in your neighborhood. So if you all think locking down is good or uh, quarantining the sick or, or just get on with it, whatever you want to do, you can decide that democratically, and then what you do is communicate the results. If you do that, you'll get rapidly to an optimal solution. If you have one controlling group, two things are certain. 
One, no one knows what the right thing to do is. So whatever they tell you, it won't be evidenced. And because they won't do experiments, they'll impose something. We'll never know what the best thing was to do. We'd be literally flying blind with a you know, with a, a blind pilot. That's what's going to happen. And of course, it is nonsense because Dr. Ted Ross, who might or might not be clever, is not a scientist, he's not a medic, he's not an epidemiologist. I think he's an engineer. Uh, so he has literally the, the wrong skill sets to make any decisions whatsoever that affect me in my country or you in your country. And so you can tell from the reasoning I've just read out, can't you, that what they're doing is a fraud on humanity. It's not, it's not, this isn't a fight between two political poles, one that says we want to be in charge and another that says, no, no, we want to be. That's not what's going on. I've just explained why it's definitely wrong to centralise a global response to a novel health situation because no one knows what the right thing to do is and the way we've always solved these things since we lived in caves are local experiments and good communication, which will be lost. So we need, well, to, we need to point this out to people and fight. That's exactly right. And not only that, what we saw during COVID was those who claimed to know what was right had nefarious agendas they were pushing people to a gene therapy shot. They were knowingly suppressing effective treatment with older, mm -hmm. safer medicines. Yeah. So it wasn't just that they didn't know what may be appropriate treatment for a, mm -hmm. quote, novel virus, end quote, although it wasn't as novel as they lied and said it was because it shared 80% of the genome 79, 80% of the genome of SARS-CoV-1 from 20 years ago. So, and we knew drugs that worked against SARS-CoV-1, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine were two of the big ones they published in 2005 yeah. from studies in 2003. So yeah. you're absolutely they right. Knew and, and what worked then yes. and they prevented it being used. So it was far worse than just, Tedros, who has no medical training and no scientific training other than engineering, which clearly is not a human body, then for him to, to for anyone to be in control saying they didn't know what to do is flagrantly wrong. They did know what could work and they chose to prevent it being used, killing millions of people around the world. Yeah, I think they also, I think they what they said resulted in deaths as well because they frightened people and that definitely was part of the agenda folks if you i don't know about you but i i remember in spring into early summer of 2020 remarking to my wife at the end of an evening having watched whatever damn program they were squirting at us through the tv i said you know what i feel ill after watching all of that and, and I think that was the objective. And we decided, I think that day, or if not that week, we turned off the TV and it's never gone on again for broadcast. Because um, once you realize that the people making programs and, and broadcasting them to you at mean harm to you, I'm afraid, you know, they may just be reading out what you think is the news, but what is the news? Why have they chosen to tell you about the half dozen stories that they feature? Have you ever thought about that? Well, I hadn't. I'm you know, mea culpa. 
but you know, speaking to other people, they they pointed out, did you did you ever think about why these half dozen stories were being beamed to you? And it was no. And and what and now I've posed that question, you must appreciate that they're not they don't bubble up as the most important things to tell you. Someone takes an editorial line uh, about what to tell you, and then they take a line about how to tell it to you. And the story about the WHO, the story about pandemics, is all fear, fear, fear. Uh, and let me also just say, um, as a respiratory biologist of over 30 years' experience, over 40 if you include my training, I've thought about this a lot, and I think that pandemics of severe respiratory illnesses are immunologically implausible. And that's why we've never had one. COVID wasn't one. Uh, I'm not I'm not convinced that the 1918 Spanish flu was exactly what they said. I think people died, but I think it was for different reasons. So the reason I say what I say is that if I, for example, have become severely ill, uh, and if we accept that I could infect other people when symptomatic, well, that would be a bad thing. But automatically, your clever body works out that when you're ill, you involuntarily withdraw from social circulation. You're ill. And, and as a result, you terminate transmission. You could infect family members, and that's pretty much it. You can't transmit diseases you don't have. So when you're asymptomatic, you're not infectious. And so isn't that amazing how nature and God arranged it so that severe illnesses like this can't wrap around the world and wipe out humanity? They literally can't happen. The more severe the illness, the more likely you are to become ill and withdraw, and the more certain that is to terminate. So they're frightening you with fear, fear, fear about the next bird flu, pig flu, whatever it is. I'm just telling you, the worst pandemic that could spread around the world and get to you is a common cold, because you're on your feet through the whole illness, so you might spread it around. But with something even like influenza, let alone these worst, scary, flying Ebola lies they're giving you. They, they literally can't wrap around the world. Ebola, for example, not being respiratory, it's never appeared in the past in more than two countries in sporadic fashion. And it burns out. It kills a lot of people, but it burns itself out. And I've just described the reason. So why these people are like Gates and others are coming up with these fantasies, fearful fantasies that you know the next pandemic is coming. I would point it to you. The only reason he knows there's a pandemic coming is because he's organizing it. Well, that's true. And not only that, it's very critical point you just made. And Dr. Gilthorpe and I both have also emphasized this, that when a, an illness has a 60 to 80 percent death rate, obviously it kills people before it can spread. So the public needs to be putting on their common sense hat and not give in to this fear from a college dropout named Bill Gates who thinks he's God over the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, he, I do. Yes, he is playing. He is trying to play the role of, of God. And you know what? We've already got one. So we, we don't need one. Thank you, Mr. Gates. But the, the man... It, it, again, it, it beggars belief that um, he has no training at all in, in the fields that he uh, he talks about and that the media restlessly gives him airtime to talk about. It's, you know, if he was a, if he was a person without money, it would be embarrassing listening to him pontificate. 
Um, it, it's I still find it embarrassing as a biologist myself. But for some reason, because of his money, he gets airtime. But I'm just pointing out, as Dr. Lee did, that the man, just like the head of the WHO, they don't have the right skill sets to be competent in these areas. And, and I'm afraid there's, a, there's an interpretation which is that it's nefarious. It's not to do with public health at all. It's to do with control. Well, not only do they not have the right skill set, I, I mean, Bill Gates didn't even finish college, much less have a scientific medical, virology, immunological, epidemiological background, background. To, know to know any of this. His only, only interest has been in making money on vaccines and sterilizing populations of minority groups in Africa and India and wherever mm-hmm. else he can get by with it to for towards his warped, evil depopulation agenda. That's really the bottom line. About yes. Gates. Yeah, I'm afraid so. The uh, again, I, I know we, we don't have much time left, but uh, I, I'm probably one of the first people, and rightly so, because my whole career has been in so-called rational drug design. So I put it to people that when you're trying to accomplish something with with a treatment, you don't just randomly grab a handful of atoms and hope it does what you want. You have a a plan in mind. You manufacture a molecule. You test it. And then you make edits and test it again, and you iterate towards the target. So I tell you, when I look at the structure of these so-called vaccines, I can read the design intent of the person who put it together. And without going into any detail today, I've said this before, I'm afraid, shockingly, they were designed with the intention to injure you, to maim, and to kill, I'm afraid. I think you're exactly right. We'll talk more about that in the second half, because I do think that's a point worth emphasizing. And Dr. Gilthorpe will bring you in to talk more about the recent live stream event from last week and what's going on with the World Health Assembly that's going on right now this week. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report Vaccine Report with Dr. Mike Eden. Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe, our experts from Sweden and the UK, as well as the focus on what is going on with the World Health Organization aim for global control of our lives and creating a public health, one health police state for the entire world. America and the world listening We must stand against the WHO tyranny. U.S. citizens, write your elected representatives, call them, visit their offices, demand that the U.S. exit the WHO. We are running out of time. This is the line in the sand and your life is at stake. We'll be right back after the break. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. 
you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discussed the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, U.S. Army and legal grant recipient of the Truth for Health Foundation. I want to give a huge shout out to the Truth for Health Foundation for helping me and my family over the past year with our legal battles. Recently, I was court-martialed for not participating with these experimental COVID-19 emergency use authorized products. If it wasn't for Truth for Health Foundation and all the support, I would definitely be in a worse spot. But because of all the support, I'm able to continue uniform service, fighting for what's right to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless America. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report Vaccine Report with Dr. Mike Eden from the UK and Dr. Jonathan Gilthorpe from Sweden. Joining me at Dr. Lee for America to talk about what is going on right now with the World Health Organization seeking to become your health police and controlling every aspect of your life. And uh, there's nobody better to talk about this than both Dr. Gilthorpe and Dr. Yeadon, because they are right there in the heart of the UK and Europe, where this grand experiment of control of every citizen is unfolding. Dr. Yeadon lives in a city that is rapidly becoming totalitarian control, even though it's in historic Canterbury, England. So, Dr. Gilthorpe, tell us more about the event last week. We'll hear more from Dr. Yeadon about the 15-minute city before we close. And I wanted to also have, have both of you talk more about the power grab with the World Health Organization and how, how devastatingly bad that is for all of us. 
Yes, Dr. Lee. Um, well, there was a very there's a there's a lot happening at the moment, and I think people are really getting activated by this power grab by the WHO. I don't think they can keep it under the tape. I mean, it's been kept very quiet up until really this year when a few uh, heroic people started to really speak out about this and and the movements are gathering momentum now. Uh, one of them is James Rogowski, who's in the US, um, and he's behind a movement called StopTheWHO.com, uh, which has now got things happening in many countries around the world. Uh, so what's really kicking off now is it's aligning with this World Health Assembly, which is the WHO's yearly um, yeah, yearly meeting in Geneva where they decide all sorts of things. And there's a, a lot of unelected representatives. I mean, you probably wouldn't even know which re representative was there from the US. I definitely don't know who represents Sweden. Uh, you can usually get a list of who represents the, the WHO or each country at the WHO's uh, World Health Assembly, but it's not easy to find that information, I can say. Um, even though we don't really know who's there and negotiating, you know, this meeting is incredibly powerful. They can decide all sorts of things that then is more or less adopted under existing regulation, regulatory uh, systems, that it then becomes law in the, in that country. So what's decided now, or what's talked about in this draft amendments to the IHR will become legally binding in one year's time. Uh, but even worse, there are some amendments to the international health regulations that also happened last year, I think, at the WHA, or maybe it was in November. So they'll become legally binding already this November if we don't send letters from our countries to the World uh, Health Organization, say we reject them. Uh, I'm not exactly what sure exactly sure what that entails. I need to read up on those. But uh, this was discussed on on Friday at a live stream event that was hosted by Dr. Meryl Nass, who was a is American doctor. That was very. Uh, she was the first one that realized that the anthrax scare in the U.S. Uh, around about 9/11 time was actually a a, a fake um, anthrax. <laughs> Well, it could have been real anthrax. No, I don't think it was real anthrax, but she was one of the first people onto that. So she's she's got an incredible and diversity and, and depth of knowledge about how governments, world organizations try to pull pull the, the wool over our eyes using enormous public health concerns, let's say. Uh, Wolfgang Wadderk from the uh, Germany was also speaking. He was the person that realized that the swine flu pandemic 2009-10 was actually faked or, or was a, uh, a a deliberate pandemic that was set up to sell doses of, of vaccines. Um, Dr. David Bell, as I mentioned, uh, Philip Cruze, who's a Swiss lawyer we've talked about on the show before, who was um, challenging the Swiss uh, public health authority called Swiss Medic for uh, illegally mandating COVID-19 vaccines for the Swiss population. And Sylvia Berendt, who is a Austrian lawyer that's also uh, on the Who's case. Um, she's very much, you know, trying to fight for real equitable uh, health regulations that would benefit people rather than being used to try and enslave them. So it's an extremely interesting, informative event. Uh, I'll try and find the links for that and, and 
so you can post it on the site, Dr. Lee. Uh, but yeah, it really coincides with this meeting that's happening on Sunday the 21st. It starts and it runs for 10 days in Geneva. So this World Health Assembly, where uh, basically the, our, our future will be decided if we don't do something about it. You're right. I mean, it's it's really very chilling to think about the degree to which Every decision that normally patients make with their physicians and individual countries can tailor to the ethnic makeup of their population, their public health needs, and all of this, that all of those decisions will be taken out of our hands. And we basically will just become chattel property of the global elite police state. Yes. Uh, I mean, we talked about, I mean, I think what the, what's difficult for many people, they can't believe that there would be a conspiracy on this level. Uh, but I think it's very important to realize, and it's something, you know, Mike talked about this period of realizing how the world really works, not the way we thought it does and the way we understand it does if we just listen to mainstream media. But I mean, just looking back at the British Empire, which, you know, was incredibly powerful. We sub subdued, suppressed, raped and pillaged so many different countries, uh, particularly India, which was a thriving country until the 1800s when the British arrived and we left it in a horrendous state. Um, you know, we have, I speak we about colonial powers in, in the Western world, are incredibly adept at taking over countries, uh, engineering collapses, going in and taking total control without the population of that country really realizing what happens. And they maybe don't realize for it for another hundred years or so. So, you know, creating infighting, taking key control of the power structures. And I, I, the way I see this that's happening now, this is just happening on a global scale. The world is being taken over by a world government. Government, The, the World Bank is in place. These, the WHO is in place. The UN is in place. And these were put in place after World War II, you know, the war that allegedly would end all wars. Um, and well, they began, remember, though, they began with the efforts of the eugenicist and Woodrow Wilson and the progressive, well, those actually it was more communism, yeah. Marxism than progression, progressives. Progressives was the polite word for communism, Marxist influence. Yeah. And that all began with Woodrow Wilson in the in 1910, 1920, before the First World War. Yeah, they, I mean, this is a cycle. It, it comes and goes, um, and it's. It, I guess the ampli am, amplitude of the wave grows. <laughs> um, well, I, I would back. say it's been growing steadily, and uh, to use their word, progressively. They have been pushing the envelope. Uh, Glenn Beck wrote a book called The Overton Window, and the Overton Window simply means you push the limits more and more and more gradually. And that, that's really what they've been doing. I haven't seen it come and go so much as it is just gradually getting worse over time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can accept that. I mean, I, but the thing that will repel that is when people take responsibility for themselves, for their families, for their communities, 
and they set the goals and and the goal posts and don't just take what comes down from up above from a pyramid structure and says, well, this is the way you're going to do things now because we tell you this is the best thing for you. Um, well, I think Dr. Eden can speak to that because he's living in a city where they're telling you exactly what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Yes. Yesterday, there was a just a small peaceful demonstration with banners uh, in the middle of Canterbury, uh, the, the site, of course, of the great Canterbury Cathedral. Uh, and I, I will mention uh, that just before I left for America, where and Dr. Lee was instrumental in helping me get out there, as was Dr. Simone Gold, and we spent a little over a year there, myself and my wife, I, I went to the door of the cathedral and prayed. And also I admired, looked at the stone and thought of the, a thousand years of building and maintenance on this, this wonderful place. So I can't help but think that it was deliberate that they chose Oxford, the seat of learning in this country, I would say, and Canterbury, the heart of the Christian church, as the places to push what is the diabolical agenda, without any question. Um, so, yes, in the city, um, the councillors, who I suspect through petty reasons, mostly money and a sense of importance, are busy installing you know, a forest of cameras and other surveillance equipment. They're modifying some of the road systems and putting up advanced warnings of closures of roads that have been open for a thousand years for foot traffic, uh, horses, and now, of course, you know, cars on the metal roads. Um, and so they intend to restrict the number of times you can use a motor vehicle, whether electric or petrol or diesel, uh, in and out of the city gates. There are cameras on every approach road to and from the city. And the goal is, they said, you'll be able to move your car a hundred times a year, which is like Monday morning and Monday evening, that's it for the week. So if you want to go over and see your mother or go and get some shopping on the other side of the town or pick up a child, you can't do it. You have to do it on foot. And the giveaway is there, there's no allowances for using electric cars. So what the hell has this got to do with uh, pollution or carbon release, which is a fraud anyway? Uh, it, and the answer is it's not. So yesterday I was speaking um, and trying to, I tried to use like half a dozen of the most powerful examples, and that was one, that the people had heard of the 15-minute city and they could see infrastructure, they didn't really understand it. Um, but I would think, here's, here's the thing that made me mention cathedral, the cathedral. Uh, all of my life, we've been trained by advertising and education to consider good and bad. Something is better, something is worse. And what we've been detrained to think about is that I would call it a, a, an axis that's at 90 degrees and it's good and evil. But I, the rational world post um, uh, enlightenment world, I think, has forgotten that evil exists, even though, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said relatively recently, that the line between good and evil goes through every human heart. We're all capable of very bad things. We know that. And we restrain ourselves, and that's part of, that's part of, as it were, being a good citizen and a good person. We know evil exists. All you have to do now is, is accept, to Jonathan's point about conspiracy, that there are some people who are even more evil and unrestrained in its expression. And I think that's, quote, all. I mean, it's a huge all, but that, that's all it is. That it's unrestrained uh, evil through the, through the hearts of some of these people. 
15 minutes, it's not to do with pollution, it's not to do with carbon. What is it to do with? It's control. And you can see from the UN 2030, their own site, that they intend by the year 2030, that private transport will be no more. I, this is a regression back to medieval Europe where you lived and died in, in one town because there's no other way of getting around except on your feet. So folks, you know, please, please apply thought and please, to my good and evil point, recognize that although we live in nice countries where bad things don't happen in italics, they can and they are. And, and really, if we don't wake up and speak to each other about what do you think is happening? Does this feel okay with you? Um, and then use the E word because I think there's plenty of it around. Anyway, I, I could go on forever, but my my own recent awakening has made made it made me much clearer that the that evil can propagate. And there are numerous quotes, and I'm not I'm not literate in that way, but there are numerous quotes about bad things happen when good people do nothing, and I. That's what I'm seeing around me, and it's frankly frightening. Yeah. I'd just like to add there, Mike, that it's not just you won't be able to drive by 2030. You won't own anything. So this is a a complete takeover of of the system so that all private ownership will end. You won't own a house. You won't own anything. You will rent what you need to use. Uh, You won't be able to go anywhere unless you're authorized to go there. Uh, so this is a con- complete totalitarian control. It is. Well, and it's going back to the whole concept of the serfs. Yeah. You, you spend your life working for the lord of the manor, and mm. this is we. They are creating the masses of people as serfs. Those that are allowed to survive. Yeah. As serfs to serve the elites who will live their lavish lifestyles at the expense of all the rest of us. Yes. And if I could just say that hopefully the people listening know that this is not a conspiracy theory, uh, nor is it implausible. So if I may, I always want to mention this on every broadcast because people just don't believe it when I explain it to them. I think there are literally two steps and possibly three uh, to totalitarian control of everything that you that you know and love, everything. Um, and it can happen, and it's being arranged, and you can see it. The two parts are digital ID. Um, at the moment, people say to me when I talk about digital ID and, and how dangerous it is, they go, well, we already have digital passports. You know, this, surely this isn't very different. I have to point out that passports for each country are unique. They're not the same. They're not even the same format. Secondly, not everyone has a passport, nor are they required to have one. And thirdly, they're not set up to be a, the database of you from cradle to grave. So, and yet, digital ID, uh, as t- as contemplated by these tyrants, is all those things. You'll have to have it, or you won't be able to access your money. You have to have it, or you won't be able to go online. So they'll find a way of rolling it out. Uh, and I just, I'll just mention on, on passing that I saw an item, I don't remember where it was from, but one country was worried about um, under 18-year-olds accessing pornography on the web. Uh, and yeah, that's, that is a concerning subject, although I don't think governmental reg- regulation is the way to do it. I think good parenting is a hell of a start. 
But that what they were saying is, well, we have to introduce something that will be definitive age verification. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the obvious way to do that is to give these kids uh, some sort of uh, a, bar- a barcode or QR code that is unique to them. And then the computer will know when their birth date was and uh, problem solved, right? Uh, no, it isn't. You'll all have to have one. Once you've all got one, that's one half of the control mechanism because they can say that you not only need to show it when you cross a, a state, a, a border between nations, which we probably could accept, but they could say you have to uh, show it in order to gain access to maybe a large shopping precinct and then eventually any shop at all. I furthermore believe you will have to show it before you engage in a purchase transaction. Um, and so Such as buying food. Such as buying food or gasoline, anything at all. If, you, if we tolerate this, if we tolerate its introduction for the first time, obligatory, common format and editable, they will make you use it for everything. It's called a zero trust world. Again, it's on the UN website, zero trust world. What a lovely expression that is. So because it's zero trust, the assumption is we don't know who you are, Dr. Eden, so prove yourself. And you'll have to do it before you access anything, internet, money, food. So uh, personally, uh, I think the only way to oppose it is not to sign up for it. So uh, now you might say, well, how will you get access to food and banking? Well, it says they won't, that won't be its initial focus. Otherwise, people would get, the horses would get, uh, uh, would shy. So I'm going to accept inconveniences which will ramp up. And I hope if enough people do that, that, that it will, we will crash the system from its own uh, contradictions. The other half of the control mechanism is to convert your normal money into central bank digital currencies. And again, people say, oh, isn't this, we've been using digital money for decades, Mike, what are you going on about? No, when you present your bank card to the vendor, they only ask, is this uh, card holder good for the transaction? Do they have the $100 or not? If yes, transaction goes through. The bank has no idea what you're buying and is not interested. Central bank digital currencies, however, will know what it is you're trying to buy before you buy it. And so if they decide you can't have meat this week or you're trying to buy gasoline further from your home than we've let you go, it won't go through. And if that level of power uh, can easily be built into the system, then it will be built into the system. And it matches exactly what Dr. Gilthorpe said a few moments ago, you won't own anything, including savings, by the way. You'll, you'll have an amount of money that firms are allowed to have. And they get you know, uh, spending tokens for the company store. Uh, and it's so, I, I, I know I get angry about this and anxious, um, but you can see how easy it would be to do to find a reason like you know, pornography and age verification. It even sounds reasonable. Um, so once they've introduced digital ID and central bank digital currencies, yeah, do you know what? A child could work out how to get rid of cash. You know, the De La Rue, one of the companies in the world that makes prints most of the bank banknotes, they hold all of the plates for these currencies in their strong room. What happens if something went wrong there? They could say it's not us. We just can't produce notes for six months, but don't worry, it'll come back. And it won't. So, you know, that's the concern. Digital ID. Central bank digital currencies are the ultimate control mechanism. And one final thing, just to really nail home the point, they can make continued validity 
of your digital ID dependent on anything they want. So if they say, this is a pandemic, look, that nice Mr. Tedros, Dr. Tedros has just told you, get down to your health center and get your mRNA vaccine. Otherwise, you'll be restricted and ultimately uh, you know, will have no, no access to, to services and money. And most people will go and get it. Well, as a biologist, I, I am certain that the design of any mRNA injection uh, is, to, is to injure and kill. So if you were looking for a way of gaining control of humanity and then killing people, the way I've described it is a fairly benign, a fairly moderate complexity sci-fi plot, not particularly difficult. Um, and I think, I have to say, I think that's what they're going to do. Well, I think you're exactly right. They've said that. And yeah. the mRNA technology clearly was developed with intent to harm. We've all, all three of us have talked extensively about that. And there's extensive long range scientific studies that show it back over at least 15 to 20 years. And you cited some of those in 2020 and 2021, Dr. Eden. So there's no question that that's the agenda. Yeah, and just things I've heard uh, in America, I noticed there is a proposal to require digital ID to obtain or renew your driver's license. I don't know if that's in law, but it was certainly being mooted. Um, in the UK, strong rumours are that the carriers, the, the aircraft, the um, airlines, will require digital ID in order to be able to get on a plane. Um, and and I, I can just see how seductive this is. It, if that's the only thing you had to do, it would seem so similar to a, a modern digital passport that you wouldn't object. But given what I've just said, um, if they roll it out, then they, and then they can make it a requirement for anything else. So those well, are the kind and of that's, things. So, they, they, always, they always frame it yeah. in terms of your, oh, we're just looking out for your security and your yeah. safety. Absolutely. And the safety of our children, mm -hmm. they are masters at the deceptive lies for the reason they're doing yeah. what they're doing. Any comments, Dr. Gilthorpe, before we wrap up today? Uh, yes, Dr. Lee. Well, this goes back, I think, to Julian Huxley, who was one of the architects of or more recent architects of this. And it was about creating a prison without tears. So essentially making people want those things that will enslave you. <laughs> um, mobile phones being a great example. Um, mm. I just would like to add to what Mike said. So if anyone thinks that central bank digital currencies are you know, not an eventuality, well, it, it's happening right now in Nigeria. They rolled them out in 2021 in the autumn on the back of COVID. Uh, there was very low uptake. I think half a percent of people started to use them. Uh, and then they made them obligatory if you wanted to buy food sometime in 2022. And then people started to starve. And so the, there was there have been riots, there have been enormous uprisings, but the government is shredding uh, paper money at the rate of knots. And uh, people can't buy food unless they use central bank digital currencies. It's not money. It's a token. No, it's a token. And in fact, I don't want to end on a completely... Uh, yeah. So, Johnson, I, I don't want to end on a completely negative note because it, it is very difficult. Um, yeah. I don't kid myself that, that we're going to get out of this easily. But I say to people, 
use cash as much as you can, even if it's inconvenient to you. And, and if you can afford it, even if it's more expensive, please, please, please use cash. Why? It's anonymous. Cash is your last guarantee of both freedom and anonymity from, from state surveillance. Uh, since I've come back from America, apart from certain utility bills, for which there's no other way but electronic to pay, my wife and I have used nothing but cash. It can be done. Um, and what else was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, if you can afford to do it, you might want to consider uh, holding you know, some amount of you know, low-denomination gold coins. Uh, guess who's buying lots of gold coins? The central China. banks. The central banks. They know it's real money. Ultimately, it's the backstop for money. They know that electrons work on confidence, but there's no there's no substitute for gold. So, so my plan, for example, is I'm not signing up for this digital ID. Um, and if it costs me access to my money, hopefully I can put it in the hands of a um, power of attorney with my accountant. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do um, what do you call it barter, offering my labour and so on. I'm not I'm simply not going to sign up for it because it's step one of a of a small number of steps. And I'm sorry to use this dramatic term, but I, I think we're describing the human slaughterhouse. And so don't don't take the first step in there uh, thinking you'll you'll bail out later because you won't be able to. So please decline it. Excellent warning, America and the world. Listen to Dr. Eden's warning. Listen to Dr. Gilthorpe's warning. Listen to my warning. It is here. We, the people, stand against tyranny and just say no. Your life, your health, your freedom is worth it. Share the message, share this program, join hands, and start speaking up in your community and to your elected officials. Exit the WHO, maintain our freedom, and as Dr. Yeadon wisely said, use cash as much as possible so that you are not tracked. And we will be back with another vaccine report next week. Thank you for joining us today. Check out www.truthforhealth.org. Sign up for our email alerts. Donate to support our efforts to preserve your life and your freedom. We are here as your advocate. It is a We the People public charity. Join us at truthforhealth.org. God bless you all. We'll be back next week.